Hey, welcome back to the Stephen Sully study. Right, today I want to talk to you about a personal story of mine. I'm going to title this, you've got to have your own plan, otherwise you become somebody else's plan. This might be happening to you right now. It may have happened to you before in the past, like me, or you're about to go through it. So let me just share something with you, okay? So when I was at school, I went to a school in a in Kent, a, a, a school called Langley Park was a really, really good school. I wasn't the typical school kid. I didn't really uh, enjoy it too much. I used to get very frustrated with it because I was never very good at any of the uh, any of the classes, such as English, math, science, anything like that. I just couldn't get my head around it. I was a very slow learner. I got one A in uh, physical education PE which I was very, very proud of. Uh, most of it though, was, you know, the physical exam, which I completely aced. I've always been a more of a physical, sporty person. Uh, but when it come down to the written stuff, I was absolutely terrible. I used to get a lot of uh, anxiety over this stuff. You know, I used to feel really embarrassed. I feel like people are laughing at me. And um, I end up getting, I think it was four C's or five C's, two D's, E and an F. The E was in religious education. And the F was in French. I got a D in maths, D in science, and uh, yeah, a few other classes I didn't do so well in. And I remember even hearing from head of year, unfortunately, that they weren't going to offer me sixth form. They said there was no point. I remember another teacher saying to me I wouldn't really amount to, to much. And um, th- this is the first sort of point I'm going to make to you. You either have your own plan or you become someone else's plan. And unfortunately, when you listen to sometimes teachers or anyone in power, when they put their own perception on you or, or their own view or their own paradigm onto you, unfortunately, certainly as a, a young man or a boy, you're going to listen to them. You're going to believe it's true. For a long time, I, uh, I was in doubt of where I was going to be going. I was always told about getting a job and everything else. And anyway... Moving on to this next part, my first ever serious girlfriend when I was younger, when I was, when I was 14 years of age and she was the same age as me, she went to the girls' school. Her dad, I have to say, uh, looking back now, I wouldn't call him a mentor, but it's someone that I really looked up to. And there's a couple of reasons why. First of all, they used to have a really, really nice house in, in Kent. And I used to think, well, look, if you've got a nice house, therefore you must be a success. That was my mindset. Also, he used to be uh, physically uh, a strong man. I know he used to go out running, training all the time. He used to uh, be a very, very strong-minded individual. You know, when he spoke, you, you, you kind of listened. He had that control over the family. He's a very respectable man. And he was also in the, uh, he was in the police force, but he was, he was like an undercover or a special division in the police force. And I absolutely thought this guy was the coolest man on the face of the planet. Um, I used to see pictures in the house with him, almost in that, that, like that SWAT outfit. Uh, outfit, You know, like the film that um, you've probably seen called SWAT in America. I don't know if it's completely the same with what he'd done. I'm just guessing. But um had like machine guns. He had bulletproof vest on, these big boots on, black combats on. I mean, this guy was like, you know, such a cool dude. And I think back then, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing again, I think he was earning between 50... 60 maybe 70,000 pound roughly I don't know I could be guessing but I'm just going off of some of the information I had back then anyway 
the main thing that really got my respect is I remember watching on TV that there was a plot to kidnap Victoria Beckham, David Beckham's wife and children at the time. And I think the whole thing was that these group of people, I think they were predominantly men, were going to go and kidnap them and then hold them to ransom for, I'm, I'm guessing, millions and millions and millions of pounds, which David Beckham will have to pay in order to release them. These were dangerous individuals. Anyway, I remember watching the TV and when these guys got busted and there was the film crew, my ex-girlfriend's father jumped out this van uh, with a whole bunch of other undercover police officers and busted these people. And I I just got so excited because I think that I know that man. I mean, he was getting interviewed on TV. Then I saw him when he came back home. This guy was like tough as nails, educated, powerful, earning money, nice house, lovely family, really cool guy to, to speak to. On TV, so it was like a people's hero. I mean, he literally set the blueprint for me. So I've, I found some hope in that because I wasn't, again, very, very educated. I just knew I was quite upbeat person. I felt that I could achieve certain things if I put my mind to it, but I didn't really know where I was going. And then when I started speaking to him about his journey, he told me this. He first went into the Marines and then eventually when he got all his training and he spent a few years in that, he went over to the police force and become let's say what I call like the coolest, one of the coolest uh, jobs out there, uh, which is more undercover, more that special units. And he, he was flying into these drug houses, you know, <laughs> arresting these people. I mean, it was amazing. That was kind of the, the avenue I wanted to go down. So I decided to join the Marines. And as I was going through this process, my mum, my dad turned around to me. He's like, listen, you cannot join the Marines. You cannot join the army. You're going to get killed you're going to get killed. And uh, my mum was very, very upset about it. She was just saying like, she was saying, look, please don't do it. I just can't bear you going into the Marines. And I was really, really certain about doing it. And anyway, eventually they started bringing me around to the idea of not going. And then my dad said to me this, he said, why don't you get a trade of some kind, do an apprenticeship and you'll always be able to work and you'll never, ever go broke. And uh, even though that's not a bad mindset, it's still a mindset of you never go broke rather than the mindset I like to have, which is build upon something, an empire, and build up a huge amount of wealth over time, as well as a network of people, as well as some really, really good relationships, you know, becoming the best version of you. I like abundance in loads of different areas, whereas the mindset he was giving me initially, uh, which I'm not definitely not knocking, was just get a job, get this apprenticeship and you'll never ever go skimp because you'll always be able to work. You're always going to be demanded. So with that, my mum used to play at a uh, golf course called Chromehurst over in Croydon and she used to work with this, uh, sorry, play with this guy who owned a plumbing company and they're called Priory Mechanical Services. And I owe that company a lot because they, they taught me, they gave me a chance and I became an apprentice. So I started there, I got my interview started and I've got to say, and I'm not uh, knocking anyone who's gone down this path, but for me, it just wasn't, there was no synergy between me and the path I was going down. I absolutely hated it. I was working on building sites, then I was spending a couple of times a week in Croydon College, and I couldn't get my head around that. I felt like I went back to school, and it was just a tough time for me. 
But one thing I've always been pretty good at is if I commit on something, even if I don't really like it, I will always complete it. That's something I've always kind of tried to pride myself on. So anyway, I started this journey. And um, one thing that got me through it is the guy who I was working with, or I was an apprentice for, is a guy called Nick Lee. This guy was quite funny. He was quite upbeat. Um, He knew his stuff. Very, very professional man. And... um, he made days fun, like really, really fun for me. So even I didn't like the, the job, I didn't like being a plumber or an apprentice, like almost a, a skivvy, like a T-boy at first, and then going to Croydon College. The thing that got me through it was him. Really nice guy, and me and him got on, got on like a house on fire. So anyway, I've passed a couple of levels of doing plumbing, getting through the Croydon, the Croydon College. I didn't really like Croydon College at the time either. Even though I haven't been back there for years, it felt quite edgy in there. It felt quite intimidating. It wasn't something that I was really, really into. Just before I talk to you about that, I remember going into these houses and one of the houses I worked on, it was in Knightsbridge in Rutland Gate. I remember that, that area, that road, and I always will remember it because I was on this job for a long time. We was doing complete rip out, first fix, second fix of the house, and we also done the maintenance job. So we kept on going back there, and it was for the Prince of Bahrain. This house, I've got to tell you, was one of the most outrageous, massive, glorious houses you've ever seen. I mean, the amount of money just to buy this house was ridiculous. And then the amount of money that the Prince of Bahrain paid to do this place up was incredible. I remember seeing even the, the tank that supplied the whole house with water was like a swimming pool. Like literally you got into it to, to do the maintenance on it. And I used to go around this house thinking, this is incredible. Like really, really, how can like one person, one family own something like this? This is amazing. And the other thing was there was rarely ever there. Then anyway, we went to this uh, next job in Park Lane and there's a uh, car garage called Bob Fulstein or Fulstein or something like that. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation. It's by Aston Martin behind now. And this is where my resentfulness set in because Nick made an announcement to me when we went to this job. He said he's leaving. And my heart almost broke. I was like, what do you mean you're leaving? And he was like, well, I'm going to go on my own. I'm going to set up my own company. And I said, okay, what does that mean for me? And he said, well, you're going to be working underneath this guy. I don't think it's right for me to say the name, so I won't. But you're going to be working under under this guy and um, you're going to be working with him. He's going to give you the guidance. And this this person was um, a little bit different to Nick. He was a bit older than Nick, a lot older, should I say, and wasn't as much fun. Don't get me wrong, very good at what he'd done, his job. He's very, um, he was a leader, but a bit of a hard man to get along with. I didn't have as much fun and... Um, it made the days really, really, uh, really, they just dragged out and I was feeling really, really depressed by it all. And the other thing as well is this was a rip out. This is first fix, second fix. So when we started this job, I remember Nick saying to me, he said, just think about this. This is what he said to me as he was leaving. He didn't mean it maliciously, but these words set in and I still remember them to this day. He said, just think, you're going to be on this job for the next couple of years. That means you're going to have your next couple uh, summer holidays whilst you're at this job and we just started it and it dawned on me that I'm doing something right now in an environment that I hated I had no passion for and I've just found myself getting into this into this role and I remember there was this, these other guys in in the building trade 
And um, I kept on saying to me, why do you want to do this? Just, you know, get out of this, go and do something else. And I kept on thinking to myself, like, I've got all these people saying they don't like it. They seem to be very, very miserable. I'm not really liking it myself. I'm, why the hell am I doing it? But I kept on thinking back. I've promised my mum and dad I will commit on it until I get qualified. And I remember there was this other foreman now, and he was just running the site or looking after the site for a big construction company. And me and him were speaking one day, and we got along pretty well. And I was standing outside, and this nice car come past, and I was like, yeah, one day I'm going to have something like that. One day I want to be a millionaire, and I just threw it out there. And I was only a young guy. I think I was about 17 or something, 16 or 17. And he said to me, yeah, I always say that to myself. I've been saying it all my life. And I think I asked him, I said, how old are you? And he was like 48. And that was another thing, like a realisation that you can say you want all this stuff, but unless you take action on it, you're just going to fall in the same pattern day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. And before you know it, 5, 10, 15, 20 years of your life goes past, which you cannot get back, which is very, very scary. And you might be saying the same stuff. You've got the right intentions, but the actions are just not moving you forward. So anyway, going back to my point, so I was under this guy working. I absolutely hated it. The winter set in, it was very, very cold. And I remember being on this building site and it was absolutely freezing. I uh, I was in steel toe cap boots, hard hat, I had the goggles on. I had, you know, these gloves on. I had, um, you know, like the high-vis uh, vest on. You know, I just, I just felt so uncomfortable all the time. I was freezing, dirty. I just really hated it. I was in the basement as well starting. Anyway, I remember going up to, I think it was the first floor, and I was doing 15 mil copper pipe, laying the foundations for all these bathrooms, and I heard this noise, and I looked outside the window, I was literally on the floor, on the first floor, looking out the window, and this car's pulled up, and it was a nasty mine, and I don't know about you lot, but I am a massive car person, I love cars, I mean, as far as supercars, luxury cars are concerned. I absolutely love them even still today. I feel that if I had a billion pounds to spend, I think I could spend it all on bloody cars and go broke. Anyway, I saw this Aston Martin pulled up and this slick guy has got out of it. Must have been about six foot one, six foot two in shape, lovely jacket on, kind of like fitted suit on. And this guy looks sharp. And as he walked into the, um, into the building, uh, someone greeted him. A couple more people came over to greet him. Um, all these foremen and people who were on the building site. And he started walking around. And he was in there for no longer than 10 minutes. So sort of came in his Aston Martin. He was outside still. Got greeted. Walked around. Slick kind of guy. And walked back out. And I could see him moving from place to place inside the building. Because some of the... There was like cracks in the floor still. And there was... Uh, some of the floorboards had been ripped up. So I could occasionally see him as he was walking past. And then he walked out. Anyway, I got a bit sort of annoyed about this because I was here like on the floor putting the copper pipes in, freezing cold, and I got a little bit resentful. I was like, who's this guy like just rocking up in this car and what what's going on? So I went down to the foreman. I said, how come this guy can just rock up, no hard hat on, no steel toe cap boots? I've, I've got all this stuff on, I'm in dirt. And he just walks in and then walks out. And he said, because he owns this project, he owns the buildings. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he's bought these four buildings, turned them into luxury flats. I was like, what? I said, well, how old is this guy? He said, oh, probably about 30. I said, what? That's his Aston Martin? He was like, yeah. 
I was like, fuck. Like, like, I just couldn't believe it. I literally couldn't believe it. Like, this guy, even though it's still quite old to me, like, definitely had 12, 13 years on me, he was still relatively young. Like, I felt like this guy was relatively young. I thought, how how the hell am I going to get to that, to there, if I'm doing this? And I remember going down to the basement, and I remember all these labourers, and bless them, I mean, they were just doing their job, but they were sweeping up all the dirt, and if anyone knows anything about building and when you're sweeping up dirt you've got to put water down and then you've got to sweep it up because otherwise all the dust goes up in the air and you start breathing it in I remember going to home at night and literally breathing blowing my nose and there was all this black stuff in my sort of snot and saliva because it was all the, the dirt in the air and I remember phoning my dad almost half in tears and I said dad I need to ask you a question he said yeah far away and I said can I with what I'm doing right now can I honestly get an Aston Martin by doing what I'm doing? And then he started to spin me, which is, you know, if you work really hard, you're going to earn money and you never go broke. And, you know, you're always going to be demanded. You can always get a good, safe, secure job, blah, 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 blah. And I knew he was trying to win me back round. And I just said, Dad, be honest. Do you think I can get it? And he, his answer was probably not. And I said to myself, why the hell am I doing this then? So with that, I don't know whether it was immediately, my mind escapes me now, my memory. But I remember thinking, I'm not going to do this no more. I cannot do this. And I remember telling the, the owner of the company, after I'd done my Corgi register as well, which is gas, I said, um, I'm handing it in, I can't do it. And he was a little bit upset because he just spent all this money on my extra cost to be a Corgi register. I said, I just can't do it. I'm just not enjoying it. So thankfully, I became Corgi Register. I did get my qualifications as a plumber, but then I left. And the reason why I said at the start, I thank this company, because they gave me a great chance. But they also, um, I discovered something I didn't want to do. I could look at it like a wasted time, but actually I met some some good people. I also met some other people which weren't so great, but I learned a lot off of their mindset and how to maybe not to be and also adopted certain other mindsets. And it's really helped me as I went on. And I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And I reached out to a few friends of mine and a few of them were working in an office as a barrister's clerk. And um, it was a complete industry change and I thought to myself you know what I'm going to uh, I'm going to give this a shot so they gave me got me in um, um, they got me a meeting an interview at I remember 22 old buildings Lincoln's Inn a chambers which done uh, family and kind of civil law and I think there was a guy there called Alan Clark who was the first top senior there and uh, anyway I got the job and one one of the things I noticed when every time I got a um an interview I seem to pass them straight away almost with flying colors and I, I think this is the first sign of me understanding that I was fairly good at communicating sales and I could present myself in a certain way anyway I got this got this job and the first thing that kind of ticked me off was there was another guy there called Stephen really nice guy me and him got along really really well I had been there for a few years and uh, one of the clerks said to me right what do you want to be called and I went well <laughs> Stephen you know that's my name so we can't call you that because there's another Stephen here. I said, oh, all right. And they said, what's your middle name? I said, Joseph. And they said, okay, do you want to be called Joe or Joseph? And I went, well, neither really. I want to be called Stephen, but if I have to choose, I, I don't mind, Joe. And they said, okay, we're going to call you Joe. So anyway, I was working there for some time and it did hit me after about a few weeks. I thought, you know what, this is not for me. I've come from a building site where everyone's calling each other, every name under the sun, fuck shit 
cunt, all these, all these kind of words where people were like spitting on the floor, you know, farting, fucking just being complete, <laughs> complete fellas, to be honest, like uh, most building sites are. Um, going into this environment where, granted, I was wearing a suit, so I felt better about myself, but, you know, I couldn't even record my, my real name. And then here's the thing that was a nail in the coffin for me. I used to get along with this barrister there, which I think it was the second highest barrister paid in London or maybe in, in, in the country, a guy called Jeremy Rosenblatt. A very nice guy. Me and him got along like a house on fire. And anyway, coming to the, uh, let's say, where, where we were all sitting and, and working, and he's, he's, he greeted everyone, and he said, oh, you're right, Joe. And I went, yeah, hi there, Jeremy, how are you? And just started chatting to him. Anyway, he left. Anyway, as I turned around to the, the clerks, they were all looking at me gobsmacked. And I said, what's the matter? And they said, uh, you can't call him by his name. I said, why not? They said, um, no, you can't, can't call any of the uh barristers by their name i said well why are they the humans like why not they said you've got to call them sir or madam so you joking me and they said no that's what you got to call i said but no one's better than me like what why have i got to call them that he said this is just the way it is i said just it just seems a bit crazy like i just i just couldn't get my head around it and here's what happened 2005 i think it was may I was driving my motorbike, I had a GSX-R 600 and I was going down to Browns Hatch and I was followed by a friend of mine who also had a GSX-R and he had a, a pillion passenger with him and I had a motorbike accident. The irony is I landed on Farnborough Hospital Drive, still took me 20 minutes though to pick me up, caused this massive traffic jam and anyway a car pulled out in front of me and I've I've uh, slammed on the, the brakes and out of... Uh, probably out of uh, inexperience because the whole biking world, super bike world was still fairly new to me. I flung myself off this bike and I split my kidney as I hit the floor. And I remember being in this overwhelming pain and my black back was bleeding. I was laying there on the floor. And anyway, I got taken into this, uh, into the hospital and they were absolutely great there. Very, very professional people. They gave me morphine, which took all the pain away. And anyway, as I was covering in the hospital and I had loads of friends and people come to see me, my mum come crying I had friends of mine coming over crying like it's just complete madness and all my friends were very very supportive in this time and you know really 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 good and um I remember a friend of mine came to see me and he was like look Steve I don't know what the fuck you're doing you know you're not happy with your current job you know you've had this motorbike accident now why don't you get yourself better why don't you come and uh, have an interview with me and I said well, what is it you do he said I promote I promote wine over the telephone and I uh you know we're doing pretty well and I said really telephone sales he said yeah he said come down have a look at it I said all right so um got myself better and as I went into this environment back then in Croydon this room this floor sales floor was absolutely electrified before I even got in there I noticed all the cars there was Porsches Ferraris uh the worst kind of cars in there back then which was absolutely phenomenal was like Audi TTs and things like that and I was like oh my god this is the place for me and what they said to me in the interview is it doesn't matter about your background it doesn't matter about your education it doesn't matter about your degrees or things that you haven't even got all you need is sheer passion excitement enthusiasm as long as you've got the right attitude for it you're going to go far and you're going to become the best version of you and most importantly you're going to start making some money. And I couldn't believe it. It was like the promised land. I found an industry where I wasn't judged 
because of maybe my age wasn't judged about my have qualifications or not this this is an environment where everyone was hungry everyone was enthusiastic everyone was upbeat and I was just told just to be presentable be enthusiastic and they would teach me things on goals how to set goals how to do presentations uh, over the telephone and in person they uh, encouraged me to wear really really good suits you know stretch myself in the right way they told me to read books get educated you know listen to uh, audio cassettes and things of that nature so people like George Zalicki, Tony Robbins, Brian Tracy, uh, Robert L. Shook, I think his name was. Loads of people. And this was not just about making money. This was about becoming an effective communicator and a, and a persuader. And I absolutely loved it. And I know I've given you a very, very long-winded story. But definitely the, the thing that I always say to people is at the very, very core of anything that you do in life, there is sales. And I would urge you, even if you're not getting in, into it very seriously as a career, learn sales to a degree because it helps with, you with your family, businesses, relationships, everything else. It's about communication, effective communication in the right way. And it, it's just part, a characteristic that every successful man, woman has in their locker. They become very, very good salespeople. And Anyway, far forward in the clocks, it's allowed me to make money in a sales environment. I was doing very, very well. Then I got promoted into more of a senior role, working alongside this other company, which uh, I become kind of not an official partner, but I was kind of like a partner with them. Um, then I left and set up my own company. I made some real bad <laughs> mistakes, some major hiccups, which was unintended. It was my first ever company at 24 years of age. Then I help set up other companies and now I've you know I've got a share in a, a clothing company I've got a wellness uh, tech company we've got an app called Mimboso stands for mind body and soul which I'll get onto in, in another podcast um, it's given me confidence to do other things like boxing boxing fights I've had 14 fights I've got a property portfolio property business which we're building up called Tungsten Management Group with my with my partner also got a sales uh, company, an art uh, agency. So I've got many different things. But at the very core of all these things is sales. So I absolutely thank my friend coming to see me in hospital that day to give me an opportunity to take me down to this office in Croydon. And I passed, thankfully, this, uh, this, this interview. And just one last short story. Within the first month of me starting with these other people, I remember this guy who was a little bit more experienced than me, had a sales job before, got sacked. I was really worried, so I went over to the uh, went over to the sales manager. I said, "Look, this guy's just got sacked. He's got more experience than me. He's a bit older than me. I mean, does that mean I'm going to get sacked?" And I remember him turning around to me and saying, "This, no, you're not going to get sacked because you're too enthusiastic to ever sack." And I just thought to myself, "You know what? Even if I haven't got experience, even if I haven't got the technical ability or the skills just yet, if I've got the attitude and I've got." the enthusiasm, that's going to get me so far anyway. So I just need to be enthusiastic and then practice on the other stuff, which I did. So going back to the message at the very, very start, you either become someone else's plan or you have your own plan. And just like me, I fell into a kind of a trap that my mum and dad wanted me to go down that path. Then there was other people saying certain things to me, school teachers, everything else. And the quicker you can identify a path, the better things are going to be for you later on. If you don't have real goals, a real vision, a real plan for the future, unfortunately, just by default, you're going to probably fall into a strategy that is not aligned with your beliefs, with your morals, with your 
mindset and therefore you might become frustrated, angry, you might feel depressed and if you don't take immediate action you may stay there for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and you may consider that being a bit waste of time and when you realise that you can't get the time back it really eats you up even more. Make sure you have your own plan. Make sure that even if you're working for someone, it doesn't mean that if you're working for someone, you are a failure or that you should be doing something different. Everyone's got their different strategies. Some people work for a big bank, for example, and they work there for many years and they're making a good amount of money and they're getting fulfillment. Your plan must be in line with your future goals and your morals and you must get fulfillment out of it. So whether that's being an entrepreneur and starting up on your own or working for someone be the very very best you can be but make sure that whatever path you choose to go down it aligns with your brands and you've got a strategy for you make sure that you've got your own plan otherwise you will fall into someone else's plan my name is Stephen Sully if you have got any friend family anyone that can get any value from this podcast please recommend me I'll be very humbled and grateful by that that was a very short story about my journey and also metaphorically I think that's the word describing the reason why you need your own plan otherwise you fall into someone else's um, strategy if you want to follow me on Instagram it's sully.steven reach out to me if you're into business wellness fitness boxing sales you know becoming the best version of you education books podcasts I'm definitely the guy uh, you should be speaking to and I would love to hear from you learn from you so please reach out to me thank you very much and be happy but never content. Thank you.